You're listening to Why We Do What We Do. Kleptomania. The glass but see you grow. Like a riot, like a riot. Oh! Hey there! This is why we do what we do, I guess. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be your, uh, I'm going to be your sticky fingered host, Abraham. And I'm going to be your can't sing on key for the life of me, Shane. We're a psychology podcast. We like to talk about all kinds of psychology things. And we have a special one today where we're actually going to talk about a psychology thing. <laughs> this is a, a diagnosis. But also, before we get into that, we are also moving into a space where now that it's 2021, we are going to mash up early 2000s electro pop, French electro pop specifically, and psychology. And you can't stop us. You can't tell us what to do. So that's right. You just have to deal with that for a little bit. You can't steal our ambitions. Nope. But if you felt like uncontrollably compelled to steal our ambitions, it might be a sign of compulsive stealing, also known as today's topic, kleptomania kleptomania yeah so aside from being one very enjoyable word to roll off your tongue it is really a fun word to say it does it feels good it does feel good like it's got a lot of like hard consonants in it that like make it feel like it's like got finite endings but the exact right amount of vowels it's like a perfectly crafted word it's also a recognized disorder in the diagnostic and statistic manual number five under the category of disruptive impulsive control and conduct disorders and also not known as d-i-c-c-d which i'm not going to say that out loud because i don't need to (laughs) (laughs) we are going to define our terms because that is how we understand what we're talking about so if we use the mayo clinic as the lord of defining terms like this the mayo clinic defines kleptomania as quote A recurrent inability to resist urges to steal items that you generally don't need and that usually have little value, end quote. There's actually a lot of information packed into that little definition, which is really helpful. (laughs) Yeah. Because one of the questions I had going into this is, what kind of stuff are they stealing? And that that tells us right there that it's usually things of little value. Yeah. Like a Nickelback album. Yeah. Or like uh, A&D ointment. (laughs) Sure. So, (laughs) this is categorized as an impulse control disorder, and it involves a struggle to resist performing this act itself, this act of stealing, inevitably posing harm to oneself and those around them. So, you could also describe this, or I think you have to think about what's going on with kleptomania, this impulse control disorder, in contrast with self-control or impulse control order. (laughs) <laughs> the opposite <of> the <laughs> what this really means is that you are willing to accept a delayed reward and forego access to immediate small probably readily accessible rewards and so that would be the, the sort of self-control definition that would be the opposite of what is happening when you are not doing that thing but it's like you've got to have those small immediate rewards and in so doing are sacrificing those maybe larger, more delayed rewards. And that makes sense, right? So like if you have impulse control, you like literally just need that thing in that moment, right? So you're just like that's and that's kind of what's happening with a lot of folks who have kleptomania. So what ends up happening oftentimes is it becomes a secret life that one attempts to hide until it reaches such a magnitude that 
severe consequences start to occur. So essentially the misconception with kleptomania is that it's synonymous with shoplifting. And there are people that shoplift all the time, but they don't necessarily have kleptomania. And that's a really important distinction. There are people that just steal things here and there. Yeah. But they don't have like this impulse control urge to steal everything. Kleptomania is like stealing things like buttons off of shirts and, you know, in retailers and like stuff that you don't actually need but you're just grabbing everything. So they, you know, what you might find is that somebody with kleptomania may steal from insignificant places beyond just stores, may steal from family, may steal from friends, may steal from literally anywhere and steal literally anything. And we will talk more about some of the examples of things that, that they tend to steal. So you get a good rounded sort of a view of what this looks like. But yeah, so this is one of those things that has no cure you know, 200 episodes in, we still haven't found that one size fits all panacea cure. Just go back to injecting Clorox and UV light into your veins. <laughs> and if you figured out how to do the second one, let me know for scholarly reasons. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, you know, what they found is that medication and talk therapy sometimes can help with this, this idea of compulsive stealing. But, you know, at the end of the day, it's not really one of those things that like is like a, we have an end all be all. We have a definitive way to treat this. And most definitely the behavioral term that I that one would choose for this because the word kleptomania sounds like someone mashed up a kaleidoscope with Klingon and said this this word that I made is is stealing stuff. That's what it means. Now. <laughs> yeah. So that's I love I love language. Right. Like I love like the stuff that people come up with. They're like this is where this comes from and this is what it means. Like I know we I know every now and again we get into the etiology of words and so it's like a lot of fun. But we can make up the etiology, which is also fun. <laughs> yeah, that's actually yeah I think way more fun because what is what does Thor say? All words are made up. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so. Let's let's look at this idea of compulsive behavior, though, because in order to understand this, you have to understand what compulsive behavior can be described as. And it's essentially behavior consisting of, quote, repetitive acts that are characterized by the feeling that one has to perform them while one is aware that these acts are not in line with one's overall goal, end quote, which is quoted from Luigi's et al. in 2019. Is that how you pronounce that? It looks like Luigi's. It does look like Luigi's. Now, what's weird is that that looks like it should be a hard G followed by a soft, like soft J sound. Yeah. Like Luigius. Yeah. Um, but it does look like the immediately when I see it, my eyes think Luigi's. Yeah. Well, and then that begs the question of like, which, when you say Luigi's, are you making the alternate G sound or are you making the J sound in that? Because they're, they butt up against each other. They do. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, let's say that you, the, the J is silent. Yeah. That's fine. Luigi's. <laughs> this that was for 2019. So <laughs> the prevalence. How often does this occur? Might be a question that you you would have. It was one I had, and so I'm going to tell you about it because there were a few different sources, and they more or less landed on that this is at least in the United States. Well, okay, it's a little tough to ca- to calculate. Remember, we're trying to separate what looks more like this kleptomania from actual theft and like shoplifting for personal gain. So it does rely on a specific investigation, and and that's not really always available to report. And I imagine that there's a lot of instances where it's undetected, and there are many people who don't report on it. So there is an estimated approximately 1.2 million adults in the United States who are experiencing this. Wow, who suffer from being selfish i'm just kidding not selfish that was not a fair way to characterize it i'm just trying to say like suffering is kind of a funny way to describe it yeah and that accounts for about five percent of all shoplifting resulting in losses around 500 million dollars 
that is a lot of dumb crap being pocketed from, <laughs> from various places. Yeah. And to kind of illustrate the difference between like shoplifting again, like we're going to provide examples, shoplifting versus kleptomania. Like Aladdin was a shoplifter. Yeah. He was not kleptomaniac. Well, I don't know. He could have been a kleptomaniac because he did try to steal the throne, too. He wasn't stealing random things. He did, like, lie and cheat and do all the stuff to try to steal the throne. Aladdin wasn't that great a a, a hero or a protagonist, really, in that story. No. Hmm. Unless uh, this is like the it's okay to steal things as long as you are the main character. Yeah. Thanks, um, Disney. <laughs> Just, so, which, which Disney does that in real life, apparently. So... <laughs> Now I I do want to I do want to point out like I'm not actually trying to throw shade or like call this an uh, illegitimate at all I was I was just trying to make uh, make dumb jokes so I I I apologize if that sounded sort of off color or tone deaf I'll be more careful moving forward Let's talk about what this experience is generally like as described again by the Mayo Clinic Now the first one that we've already mentioned but more or less what this is really characterized by everywhere you look is the inability to resist powerful urges to steal items. An important feature of that is that you don't need them. The difference between things that you that you need and don't need is that the things that you buy legitimately are things that you need. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's possible that somebody with kleptomania might be buying things they need legitimately and just stealing things they don't need at random. Like that might be the difference, right? Like so, it's kind of an interesting thing. I was making a little bit of a joke that everything that people buy is something that they need, which is not. <laughs> yeah, of course not it is the case. Of course it <laughs> like, is. I needed 11 copies of season three of The Office. Who doesn't? It's a great season. <laughs> right. But we don't need 11 so, copies of season nine. We, uh, I think we all agree on that. That's true. One is fine. One is fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, the just, I guess, going back to the fact that one of the things that people point to is this inability to resist these powerful urges. So again, what's really, I think, embedded in that, and we'll talk more about the implications of this, is that there is some compulsion, there is some motive, there's a high level of motivation to like grab something and sort of take it, take it away with you where you're going. When it comes to that too, it like ultimately leads to some kind of like increased tension and possible relief as a result of that, right? So two of the symptoms they look at is a feeling of increased tension and anxiety or arousal leading up to a theft, which makes the compulsion more likely to happen. And then the third thing is feeling pleasure or relief or gratification while stealing. So like for some folks, when they have that tension, getting relief from it is pretty powerful stuff, right? So they feel this tension, they steal something, they feel good. Maybe it just feels good to steal. Some people do report that they get like some kind of relief from the urges that lead up to stealing. So like they might have this urge and when they do grab something, they they report like a, a sense of relief, right? like a tension release. Yeah. And it often starts small as one would imagine. It starts off with small things here and there. So many of these things do. Yeah, and whatever reward is coming out of that often leads to a higher magnitude of responding or like like greater stealing or more intense stealing, leading to heavier legal and social consequences as a result of that. So there's kind of this lead up from like starting real small where maybe you only steal a Tootsie Roll to where you go and you actually steal the entire factory. I think the uh, the writers in the, the Fast and Furious franchise are kleptomaniacs. Yeah, that's uh, that's a perfect example of it. That's a perfect example yeah. of how something ramps up in now. And that's how you end up in space. Yes, exactly. <laughs> in space. All right. So <laughs> although there are these feelings that we talked about where you might feel some some positive or relieving feelings, there's also the experience that a lot of people who I guess would be described or even diagnosed as being kleptomaniacs having kleptomania. That's probably mm -hmm. a better way to put it. Yeah. Also report feeling terrible guilt, remorse, 
self-loathing, shame, fear of arrest after they burgle whatever they burgle. They do find these consequences aversive, or at least they report that, but the consequences are not stopping them from doing it. So they're not necessarily working as a deterrent or some kind of you know adverse outcome, but they do report f- having those thoughts and feelings, at least as part of the experience. And so many actually do seek to return the items. Again, mm-hmm. a lot of the time they don't actually care, need, or want the thing that they're stealing. They'll put it back and then maybe they'll go back and steal it again. Yeah. Like a library. An illegal library. I like that. In the return of the urges, and that's one thing, too, is it's not like a singular urge. Like, there's going to be returns of the urges. They are going to come back. Uh, and that repetition is what creates the kleptomania cycle. So, like, they're going to have this urge. It's going to be relieved for a minute. They go into a space. They steal it again. They come back. It becomes kind of a, a, a rampant cycle that produces a lot of this, like, smaller behavior and leads up to this larger behavior. Okay, so... As we talked about, this can be a little bit difficult to detect. So probably what's going to happen is someone's going to have to be forthcoming about their experience with with kleptomania to a professional who can diagnose it. And a psychiatrist or psychologist will be able to diagnose kleptomania when, and here are the conditions, one, all the symptoms are present, two, there is no better explanation for the behavior, three, they can reasonably assume that the that the patient isn't just stealing and then saying that they have these compulsions so that they can get away with stealing because they're actually doing shoplifting and sort of more deviant, premeditated, acquiring stuff for whatever reason, like like people who carjack the catalytic converter out of Priuses is like a thing that's going around right now. Is it really? Yes, this has happened to two people that I know in like the last couple months. Hmm. One of them got hit twice, actually. And they'll just slip under your car. They can like, I don't know what they use exactly, but they can just rip that catalytic converter right out and then go sell it. It's got some precious metal in it that's worth something, I guess. But okay, people have been been stealing these things. And that's not kleptomania. It's just thieving. Yeah. Burgling. Presumably, there's not people who are doing that sort of thing and then going to a therapist and be like, I just can't help myself. I just, you know, in the dead of night, need to get out my little welding tool thing and crawl under a car and rip out these catalytic converters. <laughs> that's not what it tends to look like. It just fell into my hands, mounted itself on my wall and subscribed to Netflix by itself. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is like, it's, it's one of those things where that's part of the reason it's so difficult to detect is because it is based on self-report and you have to be able to demonstrate that like whatever they're stealing probably doesn't produce some other motive or that there isn't like a better explained motive, right? Like right. if I'm stealing something and I'm going to sell it on eBay, then it's likely that I've identified a different motivation for that and not just a relief of the compulsion. So what's going on here is, again, as we said, this is not for personal gain. They're not trying to obtain material objects. They've also ruled out that this isn't people... Kleptomania is not people who do it on a dare or because they're rebelling, so they get some kind of you know attention out of it, or that they're necessarily escaping urges or negative emotions, which is, say, they're experiencing relief, although all those things are what's reported. But what's left out of sort of common motivation to do anything is that it feels good. It, you get sort of that dopamine hit. You know, you get that that the good vibe, I guess, when you are able to execute on this. And, you know, the theft begins to occur because it is simply irresistible, right? Like it feels good. It's irresistible. So you engage in this response. And we know a thing or two about being irresistible here at Why We Do What We Do. So that's right. Let's get into this a little bit. So we really need to pay attention to the outcome here. That's ultimately what you look at when you look at any sort of behavior is what's the outcome. Yeah. That often tells us why we do what we do. 
I said the name of the show. That's what the motive is. You did. (laughs) Ding. (laughs) Yeah, the motive is, you know, the outcome, right? So we engage in the behavior to get this outcome. And for a moment, allow ourselves to exhibit some cognitive dissonance. Let's go ahead and take a step out of ourselves and go ahead and do like a little bit of practice. Yes, stealing is morally wrong. And yes, it's illegal. But how can we consequate and address it We have to require a more specific consideration here. So let's look at different outcomes for this type of behavior. First, let's look at attention. You try to steal and then fail to steal the Declaration of Independence. And your face is plastered all over the news and you love the publicity. You did it for the gram. That's right. Right. So that's one possible outcome for a behavior that you might look at. That's why we have so many Nick Cage movies. And they're also wonderful. I'm going to throw in here. You did it for the applause, applause, applause. <laughs> See, I, I, I like make it. jokes so I can hear Shane's beautiful laugh. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's, that's the tangible. That's the tangible. Yeah. It's the heartwarming <laughs> chuckle that makes me feel so good. So <laughs> the other is that you get some material item. Okay. You successfully steal the Declaration of Independence. You sell it to the Russians for all the rubles and the truth about Anastasia. <laughs> and that's your, your material outcome, I guess. Yeah. 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 Or it could be escape or avoidance, right? So, like, it could be relief from whatever situation. A gentleman, also known as Boromir and Ned Stark, is trying to steal a Declaration of Independence and he must be stopped. So, you steal it first to avoid its destruction in Stark hands. Word. And also then there's this feeling of sort of just self-gratification. It's just, it feels good. It's it's the the good feels. You still, you'll steal the decoration to read it. Really? Dude, the internet. Dude, a library. Dude, school. All of it. You don't have to steal it. Yeah. Save yourself the time. It's really, you just steal it because getting that sweet old paper in your hands just feels so good. Oh, there's nothing better than like 17th century parchment that's right a bunch of old white racist elites wrote this Mm. yeah yeah one guy real full of himself wrote a signature way big on it that's right you can really feel the ignorance (laughs) i want to get so much crap for (laughs) throwing all of the the founders of our country under the bus no i think we'll get i think no i think we'll get agreement i think we'll get agreement take that john hancock so (laughs) (laughs) these episodes occur spontaneously without much planning or without a lot of collaboration, right? Is that our episodes? Yeah. Our episodes. Yeah. They like, so we show up here and we just record, we just, we just talk about things that we think we know. Yeah. That's why we have 220 plus episodes now. There's no, no, no collaboration though. Just we mute each other. And then we just, we look at each other on, on zoom and then we just talk and somehow an episode comes out of it. Yep. And it's usually pretty aligned. It's pretty nice. Sorry. I, I did real. That's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> so we were talking about these like bouts of, of stealing at kleptomania. Yeah. Yeah. So they, you so were they, talking. I interrupted uh, you. No, you're good. I, please interrupt me all you want. So what you have to pay attention to is how this might remove any hint of additional rewards. When you look at these episodes, right? There's no planning. There's no collaboration. There's no, there's not a lot of attention. There's not a lot of coercion that goes in. It's just you, Nick cage, no supporting cast, no big budget. You're ghost rider and nothing more. You're not even con air. Yeah. That was a huge cast. You're ghost rider. Yeah. And the movie next where he predicts the future. Oh Yeah. I forgot about that one. Who could who could forget? Can we just do a whole series on Nick Cage movies? I know, right? There's this running joke in the in that TV show Brooklyn Nine Nine about how they love the specific main character loves Nick Cage movies, and so occasionally will quote sort of obscure ones. It's pretty fun. <laughs> I think probably because so the main Andy Samberg is the main character on that show, and he did a a bit on SNL for several years where he was impersonating Nick Cage. Yeah, with that joke that how am I not in that movie? 
<laughs> I love the one where he does it with Nick Cage. Yes, that one was fantastic. Yeah. Very self-referential. That was that was probably the best part. So anyway, uh, one of the questions I also had is wondering, as we mentioned, what kind of things are people stealing when they're going through their klepto episodes? Mm-hmm. And because, again, as we said, it's mostly not things that have a lot of value. And so we'll, we'll give you some examples, but we'll sort of talk generally. So first, people with kleptomania often steal from public places, such as like supermarkets, stores, They'll steal from friends and acquaintances. They'll steal at like a party. They actually might be the person who's like on the corner, like stealing chips and hiding them in like their purse, you know, (laughs) that they're not necessarily planning to eat. Look how many Doritos I got. That's right. So yeah, these aren't your friendly neighborhood wolves of Wall Street. They're your sticky finger toddler with a lollipop, rock candy, Laffy Taffy residue all over their hands who grew up and never washed their damn hands. And now they stick to everything. They're the sticky bandits. Yeah, that was a really good mixed metaphor. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, that last piece of that thousand piece puzzle that you were like trying to finish and you couldn't find it or that missing hair tie or your last guitar pick that you swear was just sitting right there. You know where that went. Yep, absolutely. (laughs) That's not like an exaggeration. That's the kind of stuff that you'll see go missing. Yeah, that's actually that is those are legitimate examples. Like it, it is stealing stuff like that. And these stolen items often have no value to the person with kleptomania and often the person could afford to buy them. Another example of this too is like there might be free coupons at a store and that even say limit one per customer and they'll still like 50 of them and never even try and use any of them. Yeah. Like, or end up just throwing them away later. Right. Exactly. Or they might return them and then steal them again. Right. Yeah. This is perhaps one of the more sort of surprising components of this condition is that the price is not acting as an aversive that prompts the theft. So for good measure, Say you make a hundred thousand dollars a year and you're stealing fidget spinners. Yeah. Are those still cool? I think so. I've seen okay. people with them. Have you? I have not. I saw one on Instagram not too long ago that was the way it was designed, it was Sonic the Hedgehog stood up on it and like okay. the faster it went, like it looked like he was actually running. It was a pretty cool illusion. Several years ago, like in the first year that we were a podcast, we kept talking about fidget spinners because that's when they were like all the rage. Everywhere uh-huh. there was fidget spinners on every like if you went to any store in the aisle when you're checking out and they have like gum and lighters and packs of playing cards and stuff like that. There was like this replaced all of that with fidget spinners. Yeah. And I said at that time, I said, this fad has got like a year, year and a half before it is almost completely gone. And I'd say that I was mostly right. Like it's not yeah. completely gone, but it, I was mostly right. Yeah. 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 It's, it's a, people don't care as much about it anymore. For sure. So, all right. So this is this person making $100,000 a year. They're stealing fidget spinners. That's like Jeff Bezos, low-key <laughs> stealing a uh, a $6.5 million Malibu mansion. <laughs> no big deal. He doesn't even care. Yeah. Yeah. It's just he, like a pocket that thing. He's got five thing. minutes in space. He's fine. That's right. So these items are usually stashed away, never used again. So like they are, or they're just discarded, right? So some kleptomaniacs, some folks with kleptomania will donate, return, or even give away the items to loved ones. They won't, they won't ever keep them. They're not like uh, they're not prized possessions most of the time. Right. So there's no outcome indicating sort of a cost. There's no tangible value or use of the item. They often don't want to keep it. As previously stated, we're bordering heavily on this sort of just self-gratification outcome here. But of course, what we haven't really done like a specific experimental analysis to figure this out. This is all sort of conjecture. So hashtag law and order words for the win. (laughs) Conjecture is a good word. Conjecture, yeah. 
So fair chance the the Marie Kondo could help you organize your stolen items, but she probably didn't help you uh, ditch the habit of stealing in the first place. Well, right, because I mean, she's going to ask you, does this bring you joy? And the answer is not anymore. I don't need it yeah. anymore. It brought me joy when I got it. Yeah. Right. Just wrapping my hands around it and lifting it from its its resting place brought me joy. But now it's just sitting here. Yeah. Yeah. The theft was the chef's kiss. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. The the. The other uh, thing here that one might wonder is that the those urges that people feel will often fluctuate over time. It's expected that it may increase or decrease, that they go through periods of time where you're like really in it and just have to grab every single thing that you see and periods of time where you're like, nah, right. I'm fine. Yeah. And there are a lot of different things that influence that, right? It, it, there could be many factors, such as your living situation, presence of loved ones, stronger outcomes in place for certain areas. I mean, there's a lot of different things that might like either kind of suppress this behavior in a moment or actually like evoke it in certain spaces. And so that does sort of bring us again, we've, we've addressed this a little bit so far in this conversation, but just trying to figure out why we do why we do this why we do and there's really no conclusive cause as we said um but there's some things that people have looked into they've tried to see is it brain chemicals like neurotransmitters serotonin dopamine that sort of thing low levels are common in individuals who struggle with impulse control so maybe yeah but there are similar conditions that occur all the time to everyone how tempting they are means how likely the behavior is to occur given the circumstance and so it's suggested that a neurotransmitter imbalance can impact how we respond to the situation so, I mean, I guess, you know, there's certainly plausibility there. Yeah. I don't know. It might shift how an individual responds to a situation differently than socially acceptable. That's not the only thing that contributes to it, right? You've got learning sure. histories that contribute to it. You've got, like, different experiences. You've got, you know, certain circumstances, right? Like, if I've been caught several times stealing, I'm probably going to be less likely to steal again for fear of really getting in trouble. It's more likely to suppress it, but it's not going to totally suppress it. So, like, I mean, we have folks that are like, they can't help it, but they're, it's less likely to occur depending on how aversive some circumstances are. Yeah. So, you've got addictive disorders as well, right? So, the act of stealing may release a rush of dopamine. We've talked about that before and through this episode. And it could act as the same manner as a drug towards physical pleasure, could just feel good and cause a desire to repeat that feeling. And I mean, it's like kind of like after that first or second time they've done it, now they're chasing the purple dragon. They're looking for that. And that's why you see it escalate, right? The first time feels good. The second time doesn't feel as good as that first time. So they have to get bigger and better every time to catch that high. I really like the idea of chasing the purple dragon as a metaphor for chasing the feeling you get when you steal. <laughs> yeah. The last part of sort of talking about the brain here is this, the opioid system in the brain, these quote unquote irregular or quote unquote imbalanced opioid systems could make it hard, uh, more difficult to resist urges such as this and make uh, self-control more challenging. These are just sort of things that have been proposed by people. So we're not necessarily endorsing any of these, just sort of saying that these are considerations for what else is going on. I also think with that addictive one, that it's very possible that addictive disorders are a better category for what's happening here. And we're just sort of talking about or or something else. You know, I just I don't know. It's like I don't know if it needs to sort of stand completely independent of that, mm -hmm. if it shares enough common features. But I'm not an expert in this, so I'll, I'll rely on what they offer here. Yeah. Now, another thing I was really curious about and sort of thinking about these factors is like, let's say you had uh, open of like a giant area of free stuff and you're just like, take whatever you want. Take as much of it as you want. Mm -hmm. I'll give you a cart and help you out. I wonder if they would still try and hide the fact that they were taking things or if they would try and take things at all. 
Like it seems like they're not always taking things that have any monetary value. So I don't know if like you could see like, okay, well maybe it's the fact that it has value to somebody and in some capacity and that's what's the element. So then you could test that by then removing all value and basically saying everything here is yours in any quantity you want. I'll even help you carry it out and see if that affects how, how they behave. Another one I'd be really curious about is, is doing things where if the act of like concealing it or getting away with it is the, the actual sort of motivation, like feeling like you've, sort of you've you've pulled one over on the people that are nearby and it's sort of your you're doing something you're getting away with something is the feeling that they're enjoying you know yeah and so i think that'd be another thing that you could test and sort of figure out like maybe it's just that feeling it's the feeling of getting away with something that it, it provides that immediate rush and then the last one i would certainly want to look at is this is one of those things that just comes right back to the category of kind of habits where it's like, it sort of just gets, it doesn't start that way. There's no tick for like stealing stuff. Right. But this might be one of those that you do it once and maybe another couple of times. And as you get better at being successful at it, then you sort of just do it because it's easy and routine and you know how. Yeah. And so it becomes sort of a, there's a common pattern where you sort of wreck when you find yourself in a position where you could, that sort of, automatically creates this feeling of like, oh, I, I want to do this thing because you're so used to doing it in, the, in that situation. And all the relevant cues are there, always coming back to these cues, right? What are the triggers here that sort of make that, that bring me back to that sensation and the habit, that feeling, that constant routine practice is sort of where that comes from. And we stop noticing the cues, but we very much feel the effect of them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, and that, and that makes perfect sense, right? Like, I mean, and we're going to talk about like demographics and risk factors too here and really get into this. But like when I was a teenager and I was participating in activities that looked like this, there was a point in time where it went from being things that benefited me and things that I wanted to things that didn't really matter. I was like, at some point in time, I was getting to a point where I was permanently borrowing things just to see what I could. Yeah. Like I was just like, ah, like I just let's see if I can do this. Let's see. It was like testing the waters a little bit. And it became like every store I went into was like, yeah, I could do that. Like it became like there were like dares and stuff and all that. But for the most part, I was like, oh yeah, this I'm gonna I'm gonna test this out. And it was almost like kind of a mechanism where I was like, I got into the habit of every store I went into, I would see if I could get something. Yeah, exactly. I do think that's a very relevant part of it and one that would be worth testing. And so I think I don't know that there's a lot of of experimentation that's available for irresistible urges because there are a lot of features of this that we haven't ruled out. Like what's the feature that you're getting? Like where does the irresistible urge come from? What do you get out of that? Like what does the urge produce? And sometimes like if you were completely out of places where you could store things, would you keep stealing stuff? Maybe if there were like people who rather than you stealing things, they were literally just giving you stuff and like maybe even throwing it in your pocket or your like bag without you looking, are you going to like have as much fun with that as you do from actually taking something? So I think that there are ways to rule out some of these features and rule in certain others and figure out, all right, under what conditions are we likely to see stealing occurring versus not? And therefore, we'd have a much better idea of one, how to treat it, two, why it happens, and three, I think, you know, setting up antecedent systems to prevent those things and and find ways to 
get you the same outcome or the same feeling, I guess, without necessarily having the same behavior result in that feeling. Like, how could I get you that dopamine hit without you having to like steal a bunch of stuff from a grocery store or from your friends? Exactly. So let's talk a second about the types of demographics or like who is stealing, right? Like we've got to figure out kind of like what this looks like, who is stealing and what those risk factors are. Yeah. Well, Shane, you are. I am. I was one of those people. I mean, I am not now, but I was for a period of time. I really liked how you said when I was participating in these types of activities as a euphemism for this. That was really good. Liability, right? We don't want major retailers coming after WWD because of my history. So let's talk about this. So first, this often begins during teenage years. And what they found is some of the demographics include two thirds of the people that engage with this or women. Did you find what the average age was? I did not find what the average age was. I did. What is it? <laughs> 17. 17 is the average age of onset for stealing, but there are there are examples of this as young as 5 years old and then it goes well beyond 17. Mm-hmm. But 17 was the average age of onset for this. Oh, hey, that's funny. That's about the time that I was engaged. See? Yep. You're just not a woman, but that's okay cuz there was still room for you in there. There's, yeah, I still have part of that one third demographic. Also, having a direct family member with substance or alcohol abuse, that contributes, makes another risk factor. Hey, I check off that box. Great. Yeah. So far winning. Yeah, so far winning. Uh, having a comorbidity with another mental illness, such as bipolar disorder, anxiety disorder, eating disorder, check. I got that yep, box too. Boom. Check. Good. <laughs> so far, we're just reading Shane's bio. Yeah, and some, <laughs> and some evidence suggests that the urges fade as one gets older. Done. Look at that. Nice. Maybe I was, maybe I was just an undiagnosed. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> I think we just made a really important discovery in this yeah. conversation. I don't like this podcast anymore. <laughs> <laughs> We are, we are airing out our dirty laundry. Right now, I'm helping Shane air out his, and that's pretty much just on me, but <laughs> that's where we find ourselves. So anyway, yeah, don't be scared. Grandpa's just an old, retired fidget spinner thief. <laughs> so how do you prevent this? Okay, so now, now I know that I'm at a high risk, and uh, I want to prevent it. There's not really a way to prevent it. It's just a matter of controlling the urges as they arise. I mean, you could do the whole sex ed thing in the South where you just abstain from it. Like, don't go to stores. Just don't do it forever. Let's see how that goes for you, though, since you have to go to stores and stuff. Yeah. And as behavior analysts, we wholeheartedly do not support half-assed passive methods. Yep. Mm-hmm. That, was like, that was a confusing way to say that because there's... Kind of a double negative? I'm not sure. <laughs> also saying half-assed passive is a pretty fun phrase. It is. We're full of fun phrases in this episode, yeah. I feel like. Apparently, I, lo- I like it. If we take you as a model, I think the way to prevent this is to start by growing a long beard <laughs> and getting a lot of tattoos. Yeah, make yourself highly identifiable in the lineup. That's right. That's right. Yes. You want to stand out as much as possible. Matter of fact, you should only ever wear shirts with your name, phone number, address, email address, and social media handle on them and printed in large, very easily read font. Yes. That will make it also a lot harder for you to steal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because people will clearly identify you saying, why would they put that on a shirt? Yep. Also, probably geotag yourself and like send that, you know, a tracker to the police so they can they can watch every move that that might also help and post your inventory. That's right. Yes. Post it. Post it to the gram, as they say. Yes, yes, yes. That's what kids do. People don't do TikTok. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, TikTok who tag Nick Cage when you uh, <laughs> when you post it. It's important. Yep. All right. So let's talk about treatment here. Many who experience the con- this condition, as you might imagine, will fear legal actions against them following an admission and confession, even to therapists. And therefore will often resist seeking help. And so 
for those of the worst condition, they may be, which is to say they're stealing a lot more stuff, probably, probably stealing more often and more valuable things. They might face jail time if caught. Yeah. And that being said, many folks seek help as an alternative to legal consequences or to prevent future repeated offenses because they sort of, again, sort of slipped into this routine that is very difficult to get out of with a cause that nobody seems to be able to identify. Yeah. So the Mayo Clinic, going back to the the almighty. That's right. Is keen to note that kleptomania is a, quote, a mental health condition, not a character flaw, end quote, and suggests loved ones to approach without blame or accusation. So they're saying before you go accusing cousin Larry or Aunt Mary of stealing that damn final puzzle piece and disowning them, give them the benefit of the doubt. Maybe they can't help it. Maybe they're really struggling. Approach it with a little bit of compassion and kindness. Yeah, nonetheless, there are some inevitable consequences for theft in a lot of these contexts. So treating this as a disorder early is the best way to sort of avoid this escalating into further aggravation and possibly aggression. There are far cooler things to get in trouble for than than stealing little tchotchkes and coupons and buttons and puzzle pieces. Yeah. But that being said, if this goes untreated, then people will often experience more severe emotional, interpersonal, and legal consequences, as you might imagine. Yeah. Although sometimes they'll just grow out of it once they start getting facial hair and tattoos. Yep. And then what they'll do is they'll go to school to study psychology and they'll become a behavior analyst and then they will join a podcast that's been well-established 71 episodes in and then record an episode about themselves at episode 222. Yep. Also, we just kind of threw behavior analysis under the bus there. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. I love behavior analysis, but you know, yeah, it's fine. So there is medication. Psych. Nope. Nothing approved by the FDA is exclusive to treat kleptomania, but things such as addiction medication or antidepressants as some kind of off label might help reduce the urges if they're truly linked to additional conditions. But what we're finding is that for the most part, there's nothing directly, there's no specific medication to treat this. Yeah. It's more like, you know, give them a sedative and then they don't steal things. Also, the, the what is generally considered the more popular treatment for this right now is cognitive behavior therapy, as you've probably heard. We've talked about that in various capacities. What happens in that space is that they work to identify unhealthy negative beliefs and associated behaviors and then try and replace them with more functional, more positive ones. Again, sort of always the point that we, we like to harp on is like it's not the fact that you want to have that that good feeling, whatever it might be. We want you to just be able to get it as safely and as ethically as possible. And stealing is neither of those two things. So right. we've got to find you another outlet to get your rush. Like maybe you go, I don't know, like those safe crackers who help break into people's safes when they forget their codes. Yeah. And they can't get in. Like maybe that's maybe that's an appropriate outlet there. Yeah. Maybe you need to be a locksmith. Yeah. 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 Or a politician. Oh, yeah. Hey, that's that's like a perfect space for that. Like, it's apparently that's a whole thing. Yeah. Then you can steal and everyone praises you for it. Uh huh. And you get votes. You get you get what they're called constituents. (laughs) So (laughs) there's also something called covert sensitization, and that involves uh, imagining the behavior of theft and then the negative consequences, including legal, emotional, social. So you kind of like start kind of maybe practicing that and and maybe imagining that you have that I would imagine that requires a pretty vivid imagination and some really good languaging around that. Yeah. There's also this aversion therapy. This is sort of the clockwork orange style. You're going to try and reliably introduce some kind of negative consequence to oneself whenever you experience the urge. So I guess voluntary clockwork orange. Yeah. But just trying to make the urge feel bad. 
Yeah, and then finally, you've got the systematic desensitization, and that actually teaches relaxation techniques to control or to manage those urges when they come up. Like, so you engage in certain behaviors or certain responses when you feel those urges to help kind of redirect or revert or reduce those urges a little bit. I don't know that we've actually ever done a full deep dive on systematic desensitization, and if we haven't, I feel like that'd be a good one to tackle. Yeah, that would be, that would probably be a fun one because I think it's I think it's more complicated than people realize. And there's so many fun examples of where they've applied this that I think it would be it would make for some good story time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 for sure. All right. Now, there's obviously a lot of focus on preventing relapse. If this sounds familiar to those with addiction experience, it's because it is. Yeah. And this is similar to how, as we've talked about ABA therapy um, and how that works, patients are highly encouraged to keep their treatment plan consistent and sort of using if you relax sticking to the regimen, sticking to the protocol and sort of don't necessarily follow it the way that you should be, that can quickly re- lead back to sort of relapsing and getting back into the habit. Yeah. And there are support groups available, much the same like you'll see for AA or NA or any of those to help people who are dealing with that cope and share their struggles. Or it's a really elaborate way to create a crime syndicate for people yeah. that are, that's very inconvenient theft. I was just going to say that there's, I'm like, you, you can they can learn from one another. Uh-huh. Yeah. The shoelace mafia. <laughs> no shoes in town have aglets on them anymore. Interesting to note that treatment often only occurs when one is forced by the legal system, not on their own sort of accord. If you keep getting away with it and it's generally not physically harming you or someone else or largely goes unnoticed, what's stopping you? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you might say anyone you're in your way is trying to hashtag stop the steal. <laughs> but who's to say? <laughs> Oh, man. Oh, Alan, thank you. So yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, that was pretty good. That's pretty good. So let's go ahead and do, I think, take on points. because I don't know there's much more to say on this, right? Like, I mean, like, basically, we've come down to like, there's not that CBT is the most helpful, it seems, but nobody knows why it happens. It's an impulse control thing. And they don't steal a lot of things that are uh, important. Uh, yeah. And I, and I think, yeah, I think you're exactly jumping right into, I think that that was a take home point. You just gave. <laughs> In conclusion, kleptomania is a funny word. Face off is the best Nick Cage movie. Agreed. According to, according to Alan, there is the rock, you know? Yeah. The rock is really good too, but that feels more like a Sean Connery movie with Nick Cage involved. That, that's a fair point. Stop the steal or maybe don't <laughs> pay attention to those outcomes. You know, we got to figure out why it's happening, what the motivation is. And fidget spinners have gone the way of silly bands and beanie babies. Sorry, not sorry. That's a truth that we all have to accept. So nonetheless, kleptomania is a unique mental condition tied to problems with impulse control and is likely the outcome is usually something pleasurable, right? There's something that just kind of happens as a result of the behavior, as opposed to traditional theft, which is more maintained by that gain of whatever that item is or that that outcome is. Yeah, the material objects and that sort of thing. Yeah. 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 So uh, this condition perhaps does teach us a thing or two about those outcomes and motives and how those outcomes may and should impact how we view treatment as well as what are appropriate consequences. And remember, when we're in the business of trying to replace those problematic actions with more functional, socially appropriate alternative actions that can get you the same more or less sort of outcome that you're going for, but without the inappropriate access that was being used to get that outcome. So for the most part, as we said, items stolen are meaningless, sometimes not even noticed, mm-hmm. but it doesn't take away from the potential for this to spiral out of control, leading to damaged relationships and legal issues. So as early intervention as possible is fundamental to success. 
many people do sort of grow out of the urges over time. But all those early intervention behavior therapists out there, you watch those infants. So you uh-huh. can, when they're digging around in your purse, you, you know to catch it. Starts with a pacifier, then it's your wallet. You've been warned. <laughs> mm-hmm. that's, where the, that's where the term sticky fingers comes from. It was literal, and now it's metaphorical. <laughs> that's right. And then the last thing I did want to say is just thinking about the fact that we have not ruled out those other features, like what part of the experience of stealing is the thing that provides the most gratification, or what is the thing that gets the habit started in the first place, and then what keeps it going once it's established. And once we've figured out those features, then I think we have a much better idea of what to do about intervention, as well as what to do about prevention and prediction of when this is likely to occur. Like, what are the risk factors we're not paying attention to yet? Yeah. And I think that that's an important feature of this that that I'm hoping will be addressed by future research. So all of you undergrad psychology students out there, you just you just got to who are going. Oh, sorry, let's say graduate students, maybe or are going to be <laughs> in grad school soon. You have uh, some some capstones or thesis project ideas, maybe. Yeah, it's good stuff. I would be stoked if someone actually tell you what, if you actually use our podcast to do a thesis that you graduate with, I will give you a I don't know a t-shirt a sticker a hug all three of those you get a t-shirt a sticker and a hug in that order yeah you'll get to be a you'll be a a permanent honorary patreon actually you know what i I, one thing i'll say for for reels though is um i will invite you on the podcast to um talk about it and i would love to hear your story yeah yeah at 100 percent okay that was that was a real offer the the last one i mean we're we're cool with the shirts like at that point but 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 real like legitimately come on the show and talk to us about an episode that informed your thesis Yes. Yeah. What What did you learn about kleptomania and how are we the greatest ever that we could allow you to be so successful <laughs> <laughs> is what that comes down to. Uh-huh, Just uh-huh. kidding. All right. Hey, we have a listener mail. So this one comes from Eliza. She was writing in about our misophonia episode. She says, hi, Excellent episode on misophonia. I'd love to hear some expounding upon how this challenge manifests itself in a child or individual's behavior patterns, looking at it as a setting event for certain behaviors. You're encroaching on the realm of sensory processing and appreciate that as well. My career as a behavior analyst has actually centered a lot around guiding families whose first inclination of rough waters up ahead were the sensory processing deficiencies noted with their children. We can and we do work well together with occupational therapists and other service providers. And when coming from a team approach, we're much more impactful. And that's the end of that message. So first, I want to say thank you, Eliza, for writing in. I appreciate the kind words on that. And that is a really cool uh, suggestion in terms of uh, a follow-up is talking about how this relates more closely with uh, specific disorders. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, when I, when I was putting together notes on that, that was kind of the, one of the things I was thinking of. It's like, this is a really great way to... Like, you know, start kind of identifying maybe some like unique concerns, right? Like, hey, maybe these right. are some red flags to look at. You know, I didn't include that because I wanted to kind of focus more on like the actual history and the disorder itself. But yeah, I think it'd be great to kind of talk more in depth on that and look at like, you know, where this leads for folks who suffer from this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So thank you for so much for writing in and uh, we'll have more to talk about with that in a second. But let's first do a couple of quick recommendations. Recommendations. All right, I'm going to recommend Rick and Morty season five. This is <laughs> this is the the most recent episode or most recent season that came out at the time that we're recording this, of course. And the this is rated R, so if you are 
not into violent, angry, swearing cartoons, then this is not for you. But if this is something that you enjoy, is you like that adult humor, you like really smart comedies with sort of one-off jokes and like really silly, low-stakes skits, the show is the best. And I'm really, really... Um, I've, I've seen all but one episode of season five so far, and so I'm really enjoying it, and I would recommend that to anybody who is into that sort of thing. I love that show. I didn't think I was going to like it. And then it's just like one of those things where it's like there are moments where you're like, oh, yeah, that's that hits way harder than I thought it would. Like, it's like very like it's a roller coaster. Yeah, they've got some like silly total nonsense bits and then some like really heavy thinking sort of bits. (laughs) Yeah, they'll lean in hard. The one. One that jumps out at me, though, is from a previous season where the character Morty, he gets a device from his grandpa that allows him to uh, reset. Um, And so every time he does something, he'll like reset to try it again if it doesn't go the way he wants. And in doing so, he uh, he's able to establish a relationship with a girl that he likes. And they like have this whole life together. And then... um, (laughs) where there's this like there's there's romance and it's great and there's this whole scene there's like no no uh dialogue it's just music and like showing them going through these trials and tribulations and there's drama and like so they almost die and everything is is wonderful and they finally sort of re you know it reaches its culmination and his dad grabs the remote to reset everything and his last reset was to get this girl and he's like oh let's watch some tv and clicks reset and it starts at the very beginning of that and so he loses his whole relationship and you're just watching you're like oh no 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 um but anyway i'm giving away too much (laughs) uh that was a previous season season five has got a bunch of other nonsense in it like that so that's my recommendation i like it i like it my recommendation this this week is a book called In a Sunburned Country by Bill Bryson. And um this guy is uh I, I guess you could describe it as like travel journalism a little bit. And this whole book is just a, essentially a love letter to Australia. Like I've always just kind of had a fascination with Australia because I always thought it was interesting because you just you just don't know anything about the place. And when you learn about the wildlife, like the marine life and all that, it's like every literally everything wants you dead there. And so this book really gets into like the origins of the country and you know like and when he talks about in a sunburned country he talks about how most of the country is desert yeah and how it's for the most part inhospitable but people have made it lit like it's like like the people of australia are a hardy people who have made it work and he just you know he talks about like the politics there and how weird it is he talks about going to some museums and how like some of them are really fascinating and it just he does this really great job of like kind of like giving you the ins and outs of the entire country. He goes to Melbourne, Sydney, Adelaide. He goes to Cabrera. He goes to Darwin. He goes like literally to the entire country and travels it for like a month and a half and just writes about it. And it's just a lot of fun. And he's like snarky and sarcastic. Cool. Like a lot of times he tells jokes that like don't land with the people there. And he's like, I should have not said that. <laughs> it's like self-depreciating a little bit. And it's just a lot. Of, it's a really interesting read. So I'm almost done with it. And I've just absolutely loved it. Did you mean self-deprecating? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Self-deprecating. Yes, that's what I yeah. meant. I was like, he, his actual self-worth, his his self-value, like just dwindles. <laughs> no, he. Uh, yeah, that, that sounds really cool. I I have another book by him, and then that one sounds good. That's a good recommendation. Yeah, it's good stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, if you would like to uh, tell us about a previous episode and how that applies to your life, like Eliza did, please write in at info at www.podcast.com. You can also reach out to us on all the social media platforms and we will respond to those. And we can also share some of those as listener mail. If you like Rick and Morty or some other uh, adult oriented cartoon, then feel free to let us know and we can share that recommendation. Or if you like any other nonfiction books, particularly those by Bill Bryson, we're happy to share those. 
And uh, if you are a kleptomaniac and would like to share your experiences, we'd certainly like to hear from you. If you uh, end up doing research on kleptomania and then have something interesting to say, then uh, then also those are all the things. So pretty much if you're a human being, we want to hear from you. Exactly. As I said, all the social media platforms at WWD, WWD podcast. Thank you very much, Alan, for his notes. Mm-hmm. Thank you all for listening. Thank you for recording with me today, Shane. And I would like to also say thank a very special thank you to all of our Patreon members. Amanda, Justine, Layla, Megan, Mike, M, Mike, T, and Shauna. If you'd like to join that group of awesome people, you can. You can do uh-huh. that thing for as little as a dollar a month. Although they are they're they're all above that level. Just not not to like, you know, share too much, but <laughs> they're, and they're all they're all very red. Yeah, if you join that if you join that that level, then we will also shout you out. But if you join at higher levels, you get all this other really cool stuff, including access to early versions of episodes, to our notes about episodes, to versions of us recording with all the um, all the mistakes that go into <laughs> recording an episode, which are which quite is, a few. Yeah, and that's a thing that happens. Uh, you can also watch us. We have video of us doing those mistakes in like real time, and how often we freeze, and then we just have to wait for the other person to talk. It's just the best. I mean, you're, yeah, it's you're, really, really cool. It's good TV right there. So anyway, that's all <laughs> available to you if you sign up for our Patreon, and you can go over to Patreon.com and find us there. You also there are links to that on our website. Uh, on our website, that that's a word that I just made up. <laughs> on our website <laughs> for this episode, as well as links to all the resources we used for that, you can find those there. That was a lot of information. Do you have anything to add to that, Shane? No, I don't. All right, thank you so much. This is Abraham, and it's Shane. We are out. See ya. You've been listening to Why We Do What We Do. Why We Do What We Do is supported in part by our amazing patrons. Thank you. If you like what you heard, consider becoming a patron by heading to patreon.com slash podcast. You can also rate and review us wherever you get your podcast or share this episode with your friends. If you have any comments or questions, we'd love to hear from you. Find us at podcast on your favorite social media platforms. You can learn more about this and other episodes by going to www.wwdpodcast.com. There, you'll find links as well as detailed and shareable show notes. Why We Do What We Do is researched and produced by Abraham, Ryan O, Shane, and Miranda. Artwork and logo design by Andrew Pollock at nogdesigns.com. Video and production assistance from Tyler Brassier with music courtesy of Justin Greenhouse. Thanks for listening, and we hope you have an awesome day. 